just thinking, we're going to be in Mark again. And last week, if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you, if you miss any message, you can go online and listen to the message online on the members tab. Check the members tab. And there's, I believe, within the bulletin, there is a password you have to put in, but it's provided inside of the bulletin. It gives you instructions how to access that. But last week we were in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and I skipped a section, verses 10 through 12, and I said that I would come back to that. And that's what we're going to do this week. We're actually going to come back to that and look at another section in Mark chapter 4, several sections that all pertain to that particular issue, because we need a little bit of time to address what exactly is going on in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. I titled the message this morning, Believing is Seeing. Believing is Seeing. In the Santa Claus, is remember that movie with Tim Allen, the Santa Claus? The elf, Judy, tells Tim Allen's character that, quote, seeing is believing, believing, or seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. She goes on to, or the elf goes on to say, children don't have to see this place, that's a reference to the North Pole, to know it's here, they just know. I thought twice about using this title, Believing is Seeing, because when I checked it on the internet, people have different ideas of exactly what that means, and they think that when Christians say, Believing is Seeing, they think what we are saying is you just need to have blind faith. That even though all the evidence points to something else, that you should just believe anyway, just like Santa. That is not what I am saying when I use the title, Believing is seen. God is not and has not asked us to have blind faith. But what he is saying and has said is this, that believing the truth that God has revealed clearly to us in his word and in his creation will reveal to us and open doors to us of more truth. And the reality is if we will not believe what he has clearly already revealed we will not see clearly. That is the reality. We will not see reality as it really is. That is what I mean by believing is seeing. And I hope to communicate that more to you as we look at the message today. See, as, as a Christian who has been persuaded to think differently about reality, I am not waiting for global nuclear war. I am not. I am not waiting for the sun to burn out or aliens to take over or global warming to bring an end to the human race. I am not. What I am waiting for is the king to return and to bring restoration to what is broken. That is what I'm waiting for. And I'm waiting for that because God's word has clearly revealed that to me so that I understand reality as it really is, not what I want it to be, or some misinformed individual tells me it is. An incredible story, beloved, is playing out right before our eyes. But failure to believe what God has revealed leaves people blind to that reality. It leaves them blind to what God is doing and will certainly do in the future. And as a result, they make very poor decisions, and they say things and do things like this, you better live it up, baby. Right? You better live it up, because you only got one life to live. You better look out for numero uno. That's Spanish, by the way, for number one. (laughs) For my English-speaking friends. You only have one life. Get all you can. They're living in a different reality, a reality that is filled with lies and false information. That is why they are not living for the world to come or the king to come. And as a result of that, they live with crushing fears and anxiety in this present life, having no hope of a future. So this morning, as we look at the text in Mark chapter 4, if you're not there and you're using one of the church Bibles, you can turn to page 839. We'll be in Mark chapter 4, looking at verses 10 through 12, 21 through 25, and 33 through 34. And then next week we'll come back and look at a few more parables in this section. 
We're going to consider two purposes for Jesus' use of parables so that we might take seriously our ongoing responsibility to respond to God's word with faith. With faith. So what I'm going to do is first read the sections and then we'll get into what they're saying. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is the section that we read last week, but I did not explain to you. And remember this falls within the middle of a parable that he was giving on the soils and then his interpretation of that parable. This is sandwiched right in the middle. And he now takes an opportunity to explain why he is speaking in parables. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, that is Jesus, those around him, alone meaning the crowds weren't there. Those around him with the twelve, those that were following him, asked him closely, the disciples, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, quote, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, quote, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 21, chapter 4. And he said to them, to his disciples, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. The conclusion to this section is this. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. All three of these sections I just read to you I believe, are tied together. They refer to the parables that Jesus was starting to use in his teaching ministry in Galilee. So let me back up a little bit and give you some context in the big picture. And here's what I hope. Sometimes we come to church after a long Saturday night. And so our minds are not ready to hear the word or the explanation of it. If you've come that way this morning... Pray that God would give you the energy and the strength to stay with me for the next 40 or 45 minutes. To stay with me, because this is critical, it's important. I invest hours every week packaging this to give to you so that you might understand the Word of God and by understanding the Word of God, be changed by it. This is not, this is not just something I do, and I hope it's not just something you do. I take it seriously, and I hope you will take it seriously too. Our motto in our house is Sunday morning starts Saturday night, which simply means that we start thinking about Sunday morning not at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, but at 7 o'clock at night on Saturday, so that our life is reoriented because when we come together, we want to be ready and prepared to hear the Word of God and to respond to it appropriately. So let's do the best we can this morning, okay? Remember that the parables and the explanation for the change in his style, that is Jesus' style of teaching, he is now speaking only in parables. That's what's happened. You may not have realized it, but when we get to chapter 4, all of a sudden, he's only speaking in parables to the crowd. Mark chapter 4 follows Mark chapter 3. Wow, that's deep, Jeremy. Yes, but what's important about that is what happened in Mark chapter 3 so that you understand the transition. Remember, in case you weren't here, I'll remind you. The situation in Mark chapter 3 is significant because what is recorded for us there in the Holy Scriptures is the utter rejection of Jesus Christ by the religious leadership. That same religious leadership who represented and spoke for the nation of Israel. The supreme and utter rejection of Jesus Christ. The leaders had the responsibility to recognize him, that is Jesus Christ, as the king. As the king. As the one the prophets spoke about and predicted in their scriptures, which we refer to as the Old Testament. That he would come 
And when he came, they should have bowed before his presence and called others to do the same as their spiritual leaders. That would have been the appropriate response. But what did they do instead in Mark chapter 3? They attributed Jesus' divine works to being done by the power of Satan. And they were plotting on how they might destroy this one who claims to be the Christ. The crowds, remember, have showed no interest in repenting, which is what Jesus came proclaiming. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the good news of the gospel. But they have not repented. There is no record of that. Instead, they continue to come after him for what reason? His supernatural ability to heal their ills. That's why they pursue him. They don't pursue him as king. They pursue him as miracle worker. The Apostle John, one of the few who actually believed and followed Jesus while he was on earth, states this sad and shocking reality in the life and ministry of Christ of the nation's rejection of the king this way. John chapter 1 verse 11 John, the apostle, says, He, that is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Did not receive him. John says later in John chapter 12, verse 37, Though he, that is Jesus, had done so many signs before them. Remember I've said before, signs point to something. All those signs pointed to the reality of who Jesus Christ was and is. Though he did all these signs, though there were a million signs saying he's the one, he's the one, they still did not believe in him. John, the Apostle John, is referring to what we read this morning in Nehemiah, their stubborn unbelief, the stubborn resistance of the Jewish nation in general. And John was one of the few exceptions. One of the few exceptions. By the way, we know this rejection was full and final because it continued all the way to Jesus hanging on a cross. And on that cross, the chief priest and scribes stood and mocked their king and said in Mark chapter 15, verse 31, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. As if God, as if Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, had not already given them an abundant number of signs. While He hangs there for the sins of the world, dying a death that He does not deserve, but that we deserve, the religious leadership that should have responded to Him in faith are mocking him and demanding that he give another sign. That's the reality of their rejection. And the greatest authenticating sign or proof that those religious leaders in the world would receive would be Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And yet, that did not overcome their spiritual Blindness, and you can read Acts chapter 4 and read the story that they are still rejecting even after the evidence of the resurrection. They refuse to believe. The change that Jesus made in his teaching ministry that we see here recorded in Mark chapter 4, that is the style. He's using parables without explanation for the masses. He's not explaining them. And the content contained in these parables are something unique. That is the secrets of the kingdom that he was explaining to his disciples came only after his offer of the kingdom to Israel was refused. That's important for you to understand. It came only after his offer of the kingdom to Israel was utterly rejected by the fact that they rejected the king by attributing his divine power to Satan himself and rejecting him outright and pursuing him in order to kill him. No king, no kingdom. 
God's promised kingdom cannot be separated from God's anointed king. Reject the king and you surrender any rights to his kingdom. That's what's going on. Well, what would happen to God's promised kingdom? What would happen now? Does the disobedience of Israel make God's promises of Christ's earthly righteous rule and reign null and void? Is that the case? Don't turn there. I'll just read these sections to you in Romans. You can write them down if you want to look later. But in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, who had a burden for his people, his people being the Jewish nation, writes these words in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. What if someone were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful, referring to the Jewish nation? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, Paul says. Then in Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Again, a reference to the nation of Israel, Jewish people. By no means. He's saying absolutely no way Not possible. God is faithful. Just as we read in Nehemiah, God would not forsake His people. They continue to forsake Him. They continue to turn against Him and disobey Him. Even after He sheds mercy and grace upon them. But our God is a faithful God and He has made promises to the nation and He will not pull back. He will see them through. So, does Jesus just pack up His stuff and go back home to His Father? Well, Dad... I offered them the kingdom, and they do not accept. Right? Kind of like, you know, the guy goes and asks the girl out, and she says no, and he hangs his head low, and he goes back home. But the strong man stays and continues to ask until she says yes, right? Jesus was not a wounded boy who said, oh, they rejected me. I guess there's nothing left for me to do. I guess it, it just didn't work out like I thought it would. That's not the case. This did not take Jesus by surprise. But it was part of the divine plan that the world at this point did not fully understand or comprehend. They could not. So accordingly, and this is the key to Mark chapter 4, accordingly, Jesus began to reveal certain realities, that is, secrets, or mysteries about the kingdom that were not clear in the Old Testament. That were not clear in the Old Testament. Let me give you one or a couple. The reality that the good news of the kingdom would be rejected by the majority of Israel and the king would be murdered. Not by a foreign enemy, but by his own nationality. Something not anticipated by those who were familiar with the prophecies. That was not anticipated. So Jesus now begins to reveal these things. Additionally, there would be an unknown period of time that would transpire between Israel's rejection of their king and their future acceptance of their king at the second coming. I want you to understand this. It might be a little confusing. I've I've recommended this book before, and for those of you who really want to understand the big picture of the Bible, I could not recommend a better book. It's called The Greatness of the Kingdom by Alva J. McLean. $16.49 on Amazon. If you order over $25, there's free shipping. No, I don't have any stock in the company, but it just seems to be the cheapest place to get books. It's an excellent book that takes all the pieces of the Bible and shows you there is one story. This is not a hodgepodge of different truths and we're trying to figure out how to put it together, but it helps you take all the puzzle pieces and create the picture. And that picture is about the kingdom of God. It goes from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You can trace the kingdom of God. And what the the Jews would not have understood at that time is that there would be two comings. They knew He was coming. But the way they understood it is he would come and set up his righteous rule. He would come and establish the kingdom. He would come and restore Israel. And they would rule and reign. And through them, all the nations of the world, including Gentiles, that's us, would be blessed. But they did not have any conception of the idea that there would be two comings. Why? 
because they did not see that they would reject the kingdom when he came the first time and actually kill their king. And when you begin to study end-time events and all of these things that people spend so much time analyzing, and in many cases come up with the wrong conclusions because they do not take into account all that the Bible says about the kingdom of God, you will realize that the tribulation that everyone fears that is coming someday, that tribulation is primarily for the nation of Israel to bring them back, to humble them, to bring them low so that as Zechariah 12.10 says, they will look on whom they have pierced and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son. They will realize once and for all that they killed their Messiah and they will repent and turn. But it will take the tribulation to bring them to their knees. It is for them. It is in preparation for the kingdom. Read Romans chapter 11 sometime and you will see that Israel's future restoration awaits. It awaits. This time period that we are in now is a period that theologians and scholars refer to as the church age. The church age. It's the time we're living in right now. One writer says this, A time that was not foreseen and could not be made known clearly until the king's rejection had become historically certain. But now is the progress of events. The time had come for its revelation to the disciples. We'll get there eventually, but in Mark chapter 8, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they're confused. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. They got it. They understood it. It is at that point, as you read on in the text, that now Jesus begins to reveal to them, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. To which Peter still didn't get it and said, may it never be, Lord. And Jesus had to rebuke them. What are you talking about? The king doesn't come back. The Christ doesn't come back and, and is murdered, but he establishes his rule and reign. No, Peter. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be betrayed. And they begin to reveal these things to him, which means the kingdom will not be established and he'll have to come back in the future. A second coming. Something they did not see. They would learn about that promised kingdom, beloved, and they would be assured of its coming. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, after Jesus has resurrected and he has spent time with the disciples and before his ascension, the disciples respond back to him. When they had come together, they asked him this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Basically, He's saying, He's not rejecting the reality that a kingdom is coming and restoration is coming. They know it to be true because Jesus has declared it to them. They know that it's not now. It hasn't happened yet. The kingdom is not here on earth. But that there is a kingdom coming. They just do not know when. So we live in this between period. Between His first and second coming when He will restore the kingdom. Believers, and this is all background before we get to the text, but it's important for you to understand. Believers are waiting, they're looking and longing for the return of the king. But many in the world refuse to believe and still more mock the news that Jesus is coming again. They can't see the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, because they refuse to believe in the king. So in light of all that, let's look at the first purpose here of Jesus' use of parables. It is in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Let me read that again. And we'll look at to convey divine judgment. To convey divine judgment. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. One of the things the disciples wanted to know is why is Jesus talking to the crowds in parables? It's not recorded that way for us in Mark chapter 4. It just says they came and talked to him about the parables. But in Matthew 13.10, which is a parallel account of the same story, 
the first book of the New Testament, it's recorded these. It's recorded this way. Why do you speak to them in parables? So when they came asking him about the parables, they were not only asking because they were a little confused, but they wanted to know why you, Jesus, are talking to them in parables. In Mark chapter 4, verse 1, in this whole section, the context begins that he's addressing the crowds. Chapter 4, verse 2, he's teaching them. The reference is to the crowds. To the crowds. Why are you teaching them parables that you don't explain? Because without interpretation, the crowd was left with riddles. With riddles that veiled the truth contained in them about the kingdom. But when the parables were interpreted, which we're told Jesus did privately for his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 34, it revealed the truth that had not been previously known. That is a secret. That's what's going on here. The word used in the original language of the Greek for secret, that word translated here secret, in some translations you might have the word mystery, depending on what Bible you hold in your lap. But here in the ESV it's secret. It occurs 27 times in the New Testament. And it is meant to mean this. Something that was formerly hidden, but which is now revealed and passed on to those spiritually qualified to receive it. The secret is something formerly hidden, but which is now revealed and passed on to those spiritually qualified to receive it. Also note just a few more things, that Jesus makes now a clear distinction between his disciples, those who had believed, and the outsiders. You see that in Matthew 13. He calls them outsiders, or 4.11, outsiders. He's not talking about those outside the house. Like if I said, you know, the people out there on the street, that's not his reference here. It's those outside of the group that have believed. It's, it's used the same way to reference unbelievers in Colossians 4, verse 5, where Paul says you must have wisdom towards outsiders on the earth. The idea is that we must speak carefully to those who do not believe. So this group here that he's giving the parables to, these outsiders, are outsiders because they refuse to believe the revelation that he has already given, him, given them. They will not accept it. They are outside of those who believe. Now the key to understanding Jesus' answer to his disciples that we read in chapter, 10, chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 is his reference to the text found in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. A familiar prophet and a familiar book to the nation. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 12, he references this section in Isaiah by giving a summary of what Isaiah is saying. Let me just give you a little bit of context about what was going on when that prophecy was made in Isaiah, when those words were spoken. Like Jesus, like Jesus, Isaiah the prophet was sent to the nation of Israel to proclaim a message for them to turn, to repent. But God tells the prophet Isaiah that the message he brings is going to fall on deaf ears. The people had not listened in the past and they are not going to listen now. And in fact, the message will actually cause the people to harden their hearts even further as they fortify their position in rebellion against God's additional revelation. So in order to maintain their position of unbelief, the more revelation that comes at them only continues to build that wall around their heart as they say no, and they say no, and they say no again and again. Alva, one commentator, this book that I recommended to you, because they, that is the nation of Israel during Jesus' ministry, had not received the simple announcement of the kingdom, they now are given something they cannot understand. See, here's the idea. If they refuse the light or the truth that I have already given them, then they will not receive more light. But as a judgment, I will give them what they want. That is to remain in darkness. That's what they want. They don't want the light. They reject the light. So I speak to them in parables, something they cannot understand. 
And to my disciples, those who believe, I explain the parables and unveil to them the truth because they have already responded to the truth I have given them. To one group, the truth is veiled. To the other group, the truth is unveiled. Wow. Divine judgment for unbelief. Romans chapter 1, 24, 26, and 28, there is this phrase. I challenge you to go look at it at some time if you've never read it. Just read the entire chapter of Romans chapter 1. But God says this three times. He says, I gave them up or I gave them over to darkness. And what he means is the world is rebelling. Sinners are rebelling against God. They reject His truth. At some point, Jesus, God is done and He turns them over, meaning He gives them what they want. You want to stay in the mud pile? You want to live there? Go at it. And he removes his restraining hand and they go deeper and deeper into the descent of depravity. That's God's judgment. Because they reject his saving truth. This phrase, lest they should turn and be forgiven in Mark chapter 4 verse 12. They, don't see, they see but they won't believe. They hear but they won't understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. You know what that implies? It implies that the outsiders refuse to see or hear the truth. You know why? Because it would mean they would have to turn from their sin. And that is something they are unwilling to do. So they avoid and reject the truth in order to hold on to that which is killing them. That's how stupid sin is. People reject the truth that can save them in order to hold on to the sin that is killing them. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This section that Jesus refers to is used five times in the New Testament. And it's always in connection with Israel's rejection of their king. Always. The last use of it is in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 through 27. The context is interesting. The Apostle Paul has called the local leaders of the Jews. He's in Rome. He calls them to himself and he's attempting to explain to them the truth of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. You know what the result was? This is after Jesus Christ has died, resurrected, ascended. There's witnesses to his resurrection. Acts chapter 28, let me read it to you. Verses 23 through 28. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him, that is Paul, at his lodging in great numbers. That is the Jewish leadership. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. He taught them. He explained. Testifying, witnessing to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and Moses and from the prophets. When you hear that phrase, the law, Moses and the prophets, it's a reference to the Old Testament. He's using the Old Testament Scriptures. From those Scriptures, he's trying to convince his, his, his Jewish brethren, listen, this is the truth about the kingdom. We rejected it. That's why it's not here. You killed the king. But he's coming again. And you better repent now before he comes back. Because when he comes again, he's coming in judgment. And some were convinced by what he said. Oh, that's encouraging. Verse 24. But others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Here's what he said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So, the parables of the kingdom serve two purposes. The first was to convey divine judgment upon the nation of Israel for the rejection of the king. The second, though, was to convey or communicate or to give divine truth. Divine truth. Two sides of the same coin. Alva, the writer, I quote him a lot in this section, for those who had already accepted the simple facts about the kingdom, these parables would give them further enlightenment, further truth, deeper truth. Believing for them would result in greater vision to see things as they really are. Reality. Reality. 
Believing is seeing. Reality is not what you want it to be, beloved. It is what God has made it to be. Uh, I used to say this to, in training people, I would tell them, listen, for customers, in the business I was in, a customer's reality is what they perceive. In other words, if they think they're getting a raw deal, then to them they're getting a raw deal. So we have to recreate their reality. We have to overcome that in some way. This is not customer service here. Reality is reality. A red light is a red light. I can believe all day long that the red light does not mean stop. And I will suffer the consequences of that belief. It doesn't change the reality that the red light means stop. In the same way, God is the one who determines reality. He is the one that determines what is real and what is true. And we can twist that and pervert it and deny it all day long, but it won't change the fact that He's coming again to establish His kingdom. And when He comes, He expects that His people will have repented in preparation for that coming by receiving Him as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who refuses will suffer under the wrath that they duly deserve because they have rejected the overwhelming evidence and testimony to who Jesus Christ is. That's reality. That wasn't in my notes, but hey. Let's look at number two, to convey divine truth. That is the second purpose of God giving or Jesus Christ giving parables and explaining them to his disciples. Mark chapter 4, verse 11, But to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now look at Mark chapter 4, verse 21, 25. I'll show you how this all ties together. Now what God, Jesus is going to do is he's going to explain more about that statement he made in 10 through 12 by actually giving them a parable about a parable. Or why he's using the parables. And he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 25, He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." One commentator writes, this is an important appendix that is additional information to the recorded explanation for the use of Jesus' parabolic method. Just simply meaning that he's using parables. This is a, an addition to. This is why. This is what's going on. This is an explanation. So in verse 21, the illustration that he uses here about this lamp under a basket, under a stand, and then being put on a stand, the expectation is there will be a no and a yes response from the hearers. First a no to the first question and a yes to the second. No, of course you would not bring a lamp into your home and remove its usefulness or its purpose by hiding it under a basket or a bed. Of course not. And yes, you would put the lamp on a stand because that's what a lamp is for, to shed light in the house. That's its purpose. So what? <laughs> Isn't that obvious? Jesus is not training his disciples on the proper use of a lamp inside of a house. Okay, just so you know, he's using these as illustrations, pictures. And that's when he comes to verse 22, he's now going to make a parallel about the purpose of these things, the purpose of the secrets that he's giving them. He says in verse 22, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. There is a parallel here between the purpose of a lamp with the purpose for why Jesus is revealing to them the secrets of the kingdom. The disciples were not to hide what they have heard in secret, but to proclaim it openly. This was not just for them. But they were the only ones prepared and ready to receive the information at this point. The purpose of something hidden or made secret is that it would not remain hidden Forever, but it would eventually, when the time was right, be brought out, disclosed, and revealed. As foolish as it would be to take a lamp and place it under a basket or under the bed, it would be just as ridiculous that somebody hides something with the intentions of permanently leaving it that way. Hebert says, Things that are precious are hidden in order in order that they may not be abused or inappropriately used by those who do not recognize their true nature or function. 
For things that are never seen, again, are lost, not hidden. Let me give you an illustration. When small children come over to your home, and you're not used to having small children, if you're wise, you do something. You hide the valuables. Right? Because if you do not, they will come in and ransack your home. They don't do it on purpose, they, I think. But you hide them and you tuck them away. It would be quite ridiculous if you hid them and left them and after the kids left, you left them in the closet permanently. That doesn't make sense. You're not hiding them so that they can stay hidden. You're putting them away for a time so at the right time they can be brought back out. That's the idea here. That's the idea. Another one I thought of is, you know, you keep secret an inheritance. You might. I don't know. You keep secret your inheritance for your children, maybe, to be revealed later. It's not, if it was kept secret forever, it doesn't serve the purpose then of why you kept it a secret in the first place, but you keep it a secret for a time so that they don't kill you too soon so that it can be revealed after you die and then they can fight over the money. But it's after the death. It's, the purpose of a secret or something hidden is that ultimately it will be revealed. That's the idea. I, just as you wouldn't bring a lamp into a house and hide it. That makes no sense. So in the same way I gave you these secrets, not that you would keep them forever hidden from everyone else, but that at the right time you would reveal them to the world. The parables that hid or veiled divine truth to those who were in no condition to receive it also served as the way to reveal the truth or light to his believing disciples. The timing was important because the puzzle pieces they were receiving would not be complete until they received the final piece, and that final piece would be Jesus' death and his resurrection. They would not fully comprehend how all of this came together until they saw him not only crucified, but resurrected again. Then they would understand the puzzle and be able to proclaim the secrets of the kingdom that they were receiving from their king. Verse 24 says, pay attention. So he instructs them here, pay attention. You know, like when you're in school, do you remember the teacher saying, pay attention? What does that mean? That means you're dozing off. Like some of, Most of you are pretty good today. Now, I don't see anybody dozing. But I'm blinded by the light above my head, so that's probably better. <laughs> Pay attention! Wake up! He instructs them here. The idea is remain diligent in your hearing. Remain diligent in your hearing. Be careful to pay attention to what Jesus was revealing to them at that time. That they listen and would not be distracted or have half-open ears. Ears that need cleaning out from all the wax that has built up. They must take seriously the importance of God's revelation to them. Why? Because the saying that he gives them here, I'll read it in verse 24, Mark chapter 4, verse 24. This is an an idiom or a saying that would have been common in the day. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. What that means is the effort his disciples made in paying attention to his revelation, apprehending and believing, will determine the amount of additional truth they are able to receive. That's what he's saying. Believing is seen. Believing leads to deeper revelation. Believing leads to deeper truth as you move from one level of truth to the next. It's, it's like you're able, just as you climb a mountain, as your elevation changes, so does your view. And when you reach the peak of the mountain, you see what others at the base of the mountain could never see. So as they believe, they take one step further towards the full revelation of Jesus Christ. It's like advanced math. I know nothing about advanced math. My son-in-law is the expert, in case you guys have any questions about math. He is absolutely the expert. And I mean that sincerely. He's amazing. But in advanced math, and Jordan, you can correct me if I get this wrong, you have to first learn the basics. You cannot go from algebra to calculus or one of those other crazy things without first learning the steps in between. It's the same way. 
You have to respond to the revelation that God has given you, and by responding to that, you receive more so that you may take more advanced revelation. That's what he's saying. You can't just jump to the advanced stuff. You're not ready for it. And then he makes this very shocking statement in verse 25. Let me read it. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Wow. Now this sounds like it it could apply to the wealthy. We have a statement that goes something like this. We have an idiom ourselves. The rich get richer and the poor get Right, poor. Until eventually the poor are left with nothing. But in this context, it doesn't have anything to do with money. Jesus is not talking about money here. He's not trying to teach them that if they have money, more money will come to them. If they don't have money, even the money they have will be taken away. He's talking about divine truth. The divine truth his disciples have received. The same divine truth the outsiders were not ready or able to receive. Why? Because of their hard, rebellious hearts, their stiff necks, their pride and their arrogance. And when truth is received and believed, it prepares the heart to receive and see more. But when truth is ignored or rejected, and this is important, The capacity to understand truth is diminished until the point that even the little spiritual truth that they had is gone and they are in total spiritual darkness. So much so that they would kill an innocent man. Not any man, but the God-man, the King. That's how far they would go. I tried to illustrate this I'll try to illustrate this for you. It is as if, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave deep, deep underground where there is no possibility of light. You've been in that situation. It's pretty incredible. They'll, they'll take you down. We've done it once. And then you have flashlights, obviously. But at some point, you shut off the flashlights and there is no light. It's a very odd experience. No light. To the degree that when you put your hand in front of your face, you cannot see it. Darkness. It's a good illustration of Darkness. Now imagine light comes in, beaming in. And there are, there are places within this cave that are covered in rocks. Covered in rocks. But if I remove the rocks, more light is piped in. So I see light coming in, and it reveals to me, now I was in total darkness, it reveals to me, ah, there, if I remove the rocks there, I can, more light will come in. And then that light comes in, this light comes in, and reveals more places where I can remove the rocks and light continues to come in until the whole room is filled with light. Or the light comes in and I say, I hate the light. I like darkness. So I gather up the rocks that the light has displayed to me. Ironic. I gather up these rocks and I shove them in the hole until I'm back in total darkness and I'm left with no light at all until I stumble around to my death. So here's the application for us. I want you to turn to this passage in 2 Thessalonians. It's page 989 if you're using one of the church Bibles. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. I'll read this text to you. This is for you if you are the outsider. If you have not bent your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, if you have refused to put your faith and your trust in Him alone for your salvation, or it is for any of your friends that are in the same boat, in the same group. Listen to what the Word of the Lord says through the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It's speaking of a future time. And then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, that is his second coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, that is he is empowered by him, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception, that is to deceive, for those who are perishing 
because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And verse 11 is shocking. Therefore God sends them, so them refuse the truth, He sends them strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here's what the text is saying. You desire to remain in darkness and hold on to your sin. Is that what you want? You have refused my saving truth? So I will give you into the hands of the prince of darkness that you might believe his lies and be condemned with the wicked one, the father of lies. I'll give you what you want. My judgment for your rejection, your continual rejection of the truth is to give you over to the father of lies. You want to believe the lies of the world? You won't accept the truth of my word? then I'll send you a strong delusion and you'll be caught up in all of his deceptiveness and his wickedness. And you will pay the price for that. You know, it's funny, but people demand more light. They want more evidence. They want more truth. But they refuse to respond to the light that God has already given. You ever heard somebody say, I'll believe. He just needs to show me a sign. Really? What greater sign could he show you than sending His Son into the world to die and be resurrected again. What greater sign could He give you? The resurrection is not a myth. It's a historical fact in history. And anybody who would really open their mind to all the evidence that is laid out bare in support of that reality would surrender to it. But they make up Incredible excuses for why they don't have to believe. Why? Because they don't want to turn from their sin and be saved. That's why. Every person can remain in denial. You know, you've, you've heard this, it's a bad joke, but this joke that, you know, a man, you know, there's three words for a man caught in an affair denial, denial, denial. That's, you know, somehow that'll change the reality of just keep denying it. You know what? It doesn't change the reality of what you did. Truth will come out eventually. And for people to stand before God and deny, deny, deny. No, I do not believe Jesus was your son. No, I do not believe He died for me. No, I do not believe your command upon my life to turn to Him and surrender all to Him that I might live. That I might be prepared for the kingdom that is coming. I refuse to believe. Deny, deny, deny. But the Bible is clear that everyone who denies will come to grips with reality one day. As Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. Oh, they may not do it now. You may not do it now. You will do it someday. But that will be too late because you will respond to Him as judge. And so the preacher cries out to you, respond to Him today while it's not too late as Savior, as Redeemer, as Rescuer. Respond to Him that way. And then finally for the believer. Turn to your left to Romans 1.16. While you're turning there, There'll be a couple of people over here, Stephanie and Wes. There'll be a couple of people over here after the service. If the Spirit of God is convicting you and you know that you have not given your life to Him, why would you wait? Maybe you're confused. Maybe you have more questions. And I understand that's very reasonable. Would you come after the service? Would you come? This is why we exist. To share the good news, the gospel, so that people might be saved. We are living to prepare people for the King who is coming. That's why I exist. That's why I'm preaching. That you would be ready. So come. Do it now. Those of you who think you have another day, that is a huge risk to take. 
They all thought that when they stood in front of the Safeway, just contending to normal governmental business until some person pulled out his weapon and fired multiple rounds. A Safeway. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For the believer, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the good news for it. That is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I just want to point something out to you in light of everything we've just talked about, about receiving that revelation and the responsibility of the hearer to be diligent in listening and applying and to the degree that that person does that, they will receive more. They will grow. Interesting, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we all, many of us know that passage. But notice that the word believes is not in the past tense. It does not say they believed once. So they are saved. That is the power of God. That is the power of the gospel. No. The power of the gospel is they believe once and continue to believe. It is regularly coming back to the Word and opening your minds and your hearts to that Word and letting it transform you by believing it to be true, by placing faith in it and applying it to your life. For you as a Christian, listen, here's my illustration. I was thinking of this this morning. If this was a seminar, you guys are really like good right now. You're with me and none of you are asleep and that's great, but I don't know what's going on in your heart. Maybe you're thinking, wow, lunch is close. Lunch is close and I'm hungry. I got some rumbling in the tummy and I really wish you'd just shut up because I want to get there before the crowds come. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking about all the stuff that has happened to you throughout the week because we live in a very difficult place, a very difficult world. I have no idea. Or maybe you're really trying to pay attention. But if this was a money seminar and the seminar topic was how to be rich and free in 30 days, I've seen, I've gone to them when I was pursuing wealth. I went to them. And the enthusiasm on the people's face, I'll tell you, they come with a pencil, with notes, recorders, and they are locked like a laser beam on that speaker. Why? Because that guy, what he's got to say, they really want to know. And yet I get up here every Sunday, and I don't tell you how to be rich and free in 30 days in the sense that they're talking about. But I bring you the living Word of God. The living Word of God. By it we are transformed and changed into His image. And Christians go, oh, um. So they're cool with missing Sunday after Sunday. They're cool with it. Yeah, i got something better to do. And I won't name things so I don't offend too many people. What do you have that is better to do? If I gave you a money seminar every Sunday, I would have most likely consistent attendance. And I don't say this to you to send any guilt trip because you don't answer to me. You don't. I am just encouraging you. Why as a Christian would you not consider this and the proclamation of it and the hearing of it. Why wouldn't you prepare yourself for Sunday by getting to bed early on Saturday? Why wouldn't you drink an extra cup of coffee on Sunday morning if that's why, what it takes? Why wouldn't you come prayed up and read up so that you're ready for your spirit to receive the Word by which you are transformed and being saved? Why wouldn't you? Because you don't believe that. That's the only reason. It's the same reason I don't do it. It's the same reason when I come and read my word. You know, I say, read the word. And it's important. And I tell you, read it. And we put in the Bible bulletin. Read it every day. It's very important. But when I say that, I don't mean, fear not, you beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees bear its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. I am so done with this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you, and I've done that. I've done that. And I've sat and listened to the word, and I've checked out. Beloved, Here's what I'm telling you. I'm begging you. Do not do that. Because to the degree you continue to do that, you build up callousness in your heart. You build up walls so that it becomes easier for you to sit under the Word of God and it does not affect you one ounce. And you come Sunday after Sunday and you hear, but you do not hear. So recommit yourself 
to preparing yourself that every time the Word of God is read, either by your own lips or by mine or by another's who truthfully proclaims it, that you are ready to hear it, to pay attention, to receive it, to believe it, and to live it out. We're going to skip the reflection time. There will be people here. I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are some of you who have not responded to Jesus Christ's offer, His free gift that Chris read about. You have not. You have not. Why would you wait? Why? Don't wait. Don't wait. You come We would love to talk with you. We would love to explain to you the gospel and all of its fullness. We would love to tell you how you can be ready for the coming King. And those of you who know you're saved and are sure of it, don't leave here without thinking about some of this stuff and don't go home and forget it. Don't do it. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. You're wasting. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself.